Please have a seat. Thank you much indeed, guys. So as a minister to a new church, uh, or a new minister to a church, and he arrived, and he realized that the church building looked very shabby. And so he decided that it needed a lick of paint. And so he went down to the hardware shop. He bought a couple of tins of paint, and he got the work painting the outside of the building. Halfway through, he realized he was running fairly low on paint. So he thought, um, rather than go down to the hardware store, I will, I'll just thin the paint out. So he, he did that, and he finished the job. That night he went to bed, and up in the middle of the night, he realized there was thunder and lightning, torrential rain outside, and so he rushed down to the church to see how his fresh paint job was faring. And he was horrified to see that half the, the first half, the paint was still there, gleaming, looked great. But the second half of the church building, the paint had just, the thin paint had just run off the building, and it was just back to the bare boards again. Well, that moment, a lightning bolt hit the ground beside him, and boom, he was knocked onto the ground, and he was just lying there, staring up at the sky. And this booming voice spoke to him as he lay there looking up into the sky and said, repaint, repaint, and thin no more. <laughs> I know they don't get any better, do they? We may wonder, in a way, quite often, people... Um, Generally, when we think about the authority of God, that can be the type of picture that we have. And the reality is, God sometimes does communicate in that way. We read in the Acts of the Apostles that Saul from Tarsus, a persecutor of the church, headed to Damascus to wreak havoc among the Christians, and suddenly on the road, bright light, and he too, boom, First story is fictional, by the way. He too actually does go down the ground and uh, he hears a voice, the voice of Jesus Christ. It's like a vision encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you have to do. In this series about submission being the way into deeper community with God and deeper community with other people, we may well wonder, is that how Jesus, gentle and humble in heart, sometimes encounters people? And the, and the answer is yes. But the vision of Jesus or the voice of Jesus who was speaking to Paul was one who had gone through death and bore the marks of crucifixion who had died for Paul, who was protecting his church, and was hoping that through Paul that many others would be saved. But often Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus, doesn't act in such dramatic ways. Sometimes he does. But as we've been seeing quite often in our lives, it's through this uh, gentle whisper of God's Holy Spirit encouraging us to, to be mannerly to other people, to listen to other people, and not always seek to get our way with other people because they are made in the image of God, and it is He ultimately to whom we submit. In one of the first weeks, we looked at John chapter 15 and, and Jesus saying that if we want to have a sweet, close relationship with Him, then we need to utterly obey him. If, if you love me, Jesus says, you will obey my commands. 
It's totally voluntary for us as to whether we do that. It was even totally voluntary for Saul of Tarsus as to whether he continued as Saul of Tarsus or whether he became Paul the Apostle. He still had his free will. There are many, many people in this world, there are many people in history who have had a profound encounter with God and it has not changed them at all. Saul of Tarsus could have remained Saul of Tarsus, but he became Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. Today on this Sunday, the Sunday before Advent, it's traditionally the Sunday where we especially remember that Jesus Christ is the King, that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is God, that on the cross as he was crucified and a crown of thorns was placed on his head, he was enthroned in heavenly glory. He was on earth, but he was being crowned King. A strange place for God to start his fresh reign on earth. But that is what the cross is all about. Jesus in gentleness and submission, submitting himself to the authorities and to death to die for you and I, that we, those who are incarcerated in our own sin, could go free and live a life of freedom. So today is is Christ the King Sunday. And the last verses of Matthew's gospel tell us that all authority on heaven and on earth has been delegated to Jesus. That happened, as we we just mentioned, in, in the crowning, strange crowning moment of his crucifixion. And so we submit to the one who has the marks of crucifixion on his hands and yet has overcome death and has been raised to life. And Jesus Christ is the living King today. God exercises his authority through Jesus Christ in all sorts of ways. Through creation itself, it says in Paul's letter to the Romans that even by looking at creation, we should understand that there is a good God who loves diversity and uniqueness and and unity and beauty, that he's a strong and powerful God. But God also speaks to us through the church. He speaks to us through, the Bible tells us, dreams and visions. He speaks to us in a multiplicity of ways. But the primary way he speaks to us is through the Bible. As Liz finished her reading today, she said, this is the word of the Lord. And we said, thanks be to God. Because the primary way that God exercises his authority is through the authority of Scripture. He does so in other ways as well, prayer being an important one. But if we, understand, if we want to understand how does God today exercise his authority, it is through his people who gather round and who willingly submit to what God teaches us in Scripture. So every Sunday as we gather together, we, we have a Bible reading. And the primary way for us to read the Bible is actually together. 
so that we understand and, and we can pray about it and discuss it and reflect on it and, and make sure that we know what we're hearing, what God is saying to us through Scripture. We can also read it by ourselves. It's important to read it each day by ourselves, and it's good to have a set of Bible study notes or a, a Bible in one year app or whatever it happens to be to help us to understand what it is that we're reading. It's also important to read it widely, that we don't just keep going back to the parts that we like or we can live with, but we read all of it. As Paul was saying to the young Timothy in our reading, he was saying, the, the Scriptures are able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. They are the God-breathed Word of God that they are useful for teaching and training and rebuking, correcting and righteousness, so the servant of God can be equipped for every good work. They are, they'll give you wisdom, Timothy. They'll, they're useful to you, and, and they'll show you the way of salvation. There are 39 articles of religion in the Church of Ireland, and number six says that Holy Scripture contains everything necessary to salvation. That doesn't mean by owning a Bible or holding a Bible or reading a Bible that I will enjoy the fullness of salvation. That only comes in a relationship with Jesus Christ in which we are forgiven and washed clean. And He comes and fills us with His Holy Spirit. But what that means is that the Bible tells us everything we need to know in order to enjoy an eternal relationship with God. Jesus Christ is the authority of God. He is the Word of God made flesh. And yet He continues to communicate to us, yes, in His church, but as His church with the authority of Scripture right in the middle. And we listen and we, and we pray and we reflect and we trust the fact that God will transform us as we gather together as His community and we listen to His Word being read. And transformation is exactly what the Lord wants to happen. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Just as it was from the early days of the church, we read in Acts chapter 2, that the, the disciples and the apostles gathered together and they they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And out of that, all sorts of wonderful things happened. There was miracles, there was generosity, there were shared meals, there was praise, and the church grew every day. Someone was added to the church. Sometimes there were days where there were thousands of people added to the church. And still in the world today, there are days where there are thousands of people in one day added to the church. God is building His church by the power of His Holy Spirit, and obedience to Scripture is right at the center of it. So we read it widely, we read it deeply, we are alert to the Holy Spirit, we pray for the Holy Spirit to, to guide us, to give us insight, and we're praying that transformation happens in our lives as we read Scripture, as we 
read it personally, as we read it in church, as we read it in our life groups, as we study it together, the purpose of all that is transformation, that by the Spirit of God, we become increasingly like Jesus Christ, and we with unveiled faces by the power of the Holy Spirit contemplate the intimate presence of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We also respect its literary style, the fact that parts of the Bible are history, parts are poetry, parts are song, parts are letters, and parts are apocalyptic literature. In other words, they're written in highly symbolic language to protect those who wrote it and to protect those who are reading it, like the book of Revelation, written in code at a time of persecution. So we need to recognize that there are some parts written in symbols, there are some parts written in letters, there are some parts which are songs and poetry, and there are some parts which are history. There are some parts which are law. And we need to recognize what type of genre is this that we are reading? Is this a song? Is this a law? Is this poetry? What is it that we're reading? We also need to respect the whole structure of Scripture. About a year or so ago, we did a series called God's Big Picture based on Vaughn Roberts' really good book, um, God's Big Picture. We don't tend to spend too much time rethinking the titles. A more probably simple and straightforward one is uh, uh, Bishop Tom Wright gives a five-act structure for the Bible, which I think is very useful. The first is creation, the second is the fall, the third is Israel, the fourth is Jesus, and the fifth is the church. And it's important for us to be aware in what act are we whenever we read Scripture. Act one and act two are are very short parts of the Bible, but their effect is immense. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, all about creation. Genesis chapter 3, all about the fall. And yet the whole history of Israel and mankind is a play out of what that fall looks like. Then as the people of Israel from Abraham to the end of Malachi to the end of the Old Testament, it's all about the people of Israel. But then Jesus comes. And we have what's become to us, the apostles' teaching has become developed into the New Testament. And we have the Gospels, which are, are unique and which are so precious to us because they tell us about the actions and the words of Jesus. And so at our 10 o'clock service, at our monthly communion, when it comes to the gospel being read, we all stand in reverence of the fact that these are one of the four gospels that tell us about the words and actions of Jesus. Then there's Act 5, which is the Acts of the Apostles to the end of the New Testament. We are Act 5 people. We live in the era of the Acts of the Apostles onwards. And from the biblical perspective, nothing of that much importance compared to the rest of it has happened since Jesus rose from the dead and breathed out His Holy Spirit. We've been in Act 5 now for 2,000 years. 
And so whenever we read the Bible, we read it in a way from the back to the front because we are part caught up in the salvation story of the Bible. We read it as those who know how the story ends. And so whenever we read the wisdom and the ethics and the doctrine of the Acts of the Apostles to Revelation, it applies directly to us now. There are, is a cultural context, but in terms of the wisdom and the ethics and the doctrine that are there, it applies unchanged to us today. The same is true of the teaching of Jesus, except in those small number of cases where Jesus says something which is purely time-bound for his 12 closest followers. So in Matthew chapter 10, he says, go only to the lost sheep of Israel. And he sends them out. Don't go to the Gentiles, just go to the lost sheep of Israel. But then in Matthew chapter 28, the last part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, we're done with that now. And the risen Lord Jesus says, now go everywhere to every nation and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I am with you always to the very end of the age, to the end of Act 5 that you and I are caught up in today. And this is really important for us in terms of how we understand the flow and the complexity of Scripture and how God exercises His authority to us today through His written Word, through these 66 books, 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. And we know the fact when we read Acts to the end that this applies directly to us, that the vast, vast majority of what Jesus says except some very particular things apply directly to us. That Scripture actually helps to interpret itself. So when we read Matthew 10 and go, does that mean we only reach out to Jews? And then Scripture interprets itself and tells us, no, Jesus has overturned that, has modified that. We're to go to the ends of the earth. It's important for us to remember that the the Bible is all about Jesus from the very start to the very end. He is the hero of the story. And so as we look back through the lens of Jesus and the lens of the New Testament into the Old Testament, we do so being aware that we are act five people, that we are the church, that Jesus has come, he has lived, he has died, he's been raised to life. Those who are in him have been made holy in righteousness with God, have been washed clean and filled with the Holy Spirit. We have been given a new nature. Everything has changed. And so when we look back into the Old Testament, we recognize the fact that we're doing so from Act 5. And so we don't directly apply the laws of the, of the geographical nation of Israel to us now. So all those various things that said, if someone does X, Y, or Z, then stone them. We don't do that today. We don't advocate that today as Christians because we are in Act 5. And that was for the judicial system of a geographically bound people, the people of Israel at that time. Also as well, Jesus has come, as it says in Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Christ once for all. In other words, 
no more sacrifices are necessary because Jesus has done the one complete and all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And so we don't seek to rebuild the temple. We have no interest in rebuilding the temple. Why? Because the temple was for animal sacrifices. Why? To bring forgiveness of sin to the people of Israel. We don't sacrifice animals anymore. We don't need that temple anymore. We will never seek to rebuild that temple because we are Act 5 people. The purity laws... We have been made pure and holy and righteous through Jesus Christ. The purity laws of Israel no longer apply to us. The ones that say, don't wear more than one type of interwoven fabric when you wear clothing. It speaks about the holiness of God, but it doesn't apply to our lives. The dietary laws, Mark chapter 7, Jesus declared all foods clean. The dietary laws no longer apply to us. It's important for us to understand the whole structure of Scripture. What does it mean that God exercises His authority through the Bible? What does it mean that all of it is useful for us to understand what salvation looks like? What does it mean that some parts of it do not apply directly to our lives today and other parts do? We need to understand how to read Scripture and how God communicates to us today. So when we read something in the Old Testament, we never apply it directly to our lives before going into the New Testament and saying, how has the New Testament either reinforced or developed this? And so, for instance, in the Old Testament, one of the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. The Lord says, you shall not murder. In Matthew chapter 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, and he develops this, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, says Jesus, anyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. So there are laws in the Old Testament that are brought to their conclusion. They are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And there are others that Jesus has fulfilled, like the purity laws and sacrificial system that Jesus has fulfilled and they no longer apply to us. We still read about them because they tell us something of the nature of God but Jesus Christ is the one sacrifice for sins. And today, because we're thinking about adoption and fostering, there are loads of verses in the Old Testament that speak about justice for orphans and for widows. Isaiah 1.17 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause, and so then we go on to the New Testament, and we probably think it sounds like a good thing, but I better just check in the New Testament, what does it say? And James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. It's reinforced 
So we always read the Old Testament and we look at where are we in the, in the five-act scenario. How has Jesus transformed everything? And what are timeless truths that he reinforces and the apostles reinforce? And what are some of the things that Jesus has simply fulfilled? And we remember the fact that the story isn't over yet. That we have the privilege of being in this act five, that we are being shaped as the people of God by the Holy Spirit with the authority of God in our midst. Yes, exercised through prayer and the church and creation and dreams and visions, but primarily through the whole story of which we are part. And we remember that Jesus Christ is going to return. And the story will come to a glorious conclusion. And there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And every knee and every will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we, as the people of God, will have entered into that place of deep intimacy. We will be overwhelmed with the sense of the power and love of God. Something that we get a little flavor of in the midst of our worship, in the midst of living lives that are filled with worship and prayer. A little taste of what it will look like to be utterly immersed in the presence and the love of God. There'll be no need for any temple. There'll be no need for any sacraments. Prayer as we know it will not be the same. Worship will be transformed. And there'll be no need to read this anymore. Because when you get to your destination, you no longer need the map. But as the people of God, if we want to understand, how do I grow closer to the Father? How do I become more like Jesus Christ? How do I become more filled with the Holy Spirit and exercise His loving authority in the world? How do I see the world transformed in and through my life and through the life of the church? And the answer is that I submit completely to the authority of God because that's how I show that I love God with all my heart. And the Spirit comes and moves powerfully among us because we are a people to whom it is safe to give power because we are a submissive and a humble people who are willing at all times to listen to the Lord and to do whatever He asks us to do. So I'd love just to finish with a prayer. It's a prayer for Bible Sunday from the Book of Common Prayer. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning, help us to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Shall we stand?